This podcast is brought to you by Labyrinth Marketing, an award-winning strategic marketing and capability consultancy passionate about step change in the growth of brands and agencies by setting long-term strategy and supporting empowering the people behind the brands and business to bring these plans to life through capability programs, training, coaching, mentoring, and providing extra resource. Hello and welcome to the Whole Marketer Podcast. Today's podcast is both a soft and technical skill, it's empathy. And shortly I'll be welcoming today's guest, Mimi Nicklin, onto the podcast. But before I do, let me tell you why I believe empathy is such a vital skill for marketeers to be able to possess. Empathy is building an understanding of another human, of what it's like for that person to be in their shoes. Empathy has two key benefits in the workplace for marketers. Firstly, it enables you to build a better understanding and relate to others. This benefits your working relationships internally with individuals and your teams and colleagues, and also externally with your agency partners, suppliers and customers. Secondly, empathy also enables you to better understand and build that deep-rooted emotional connection with your customers or consumers. Because when you are able to connect with your consumers and customers on a deeper level, you'll be able to communicate with them more effectively and emotionally on a deeper level. Today's guest is Mimi Nickling. She believes that empathic influence can make a difference to the world of work and society. She's extremely passionate about conscientious leadership and the impact that we have as leaders today. Today, she balances her work in empathy with her strategic and creative leadership at the DevMark Group ensuring she integrates her leadership work in her corporate and marketing world, ensuring she uses her passion for inspiring empathy globally. A lifelong copywriter, she authored the book Softening the Edge. This book focuses on her passion for sustainable wellness of our workforce, human-led leadership and the future of effective creative and brand building. Her principles are principles of people and she focuses on opportunities for enhanced organisational culture as well as brand strategy that heroes consumer empathy and creativity. She is also host of the Empathy for Breakfast show, a weekly breakfast podcast, which you can find on all leading podcast platforms. Mimi has worked across 25 markets from with independent agencies as well as within both WPP and Omnicom and from client side, where she was the global vice president at GlaxoSmithKline for Grey Group in Singapore, having held roles as regional strategic director and chief marketing officer. Her key strengths are about building team culture and cohesion, creative storytelling and strategic concept and brand development. Mimi, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure to be here. As always with the podcast, we always start with a big juicy question. And today's big juicy question is, what is empathy to you? Oh, that is a good question. Empathy to me is about perspective taking. If you really simplify it down, it's about listening. It's about fundamentally being able to understand the reality of someone else through their eyes and in their context, and then being able to take that perspective as your own. So through their eyes and in their context, I couldn't agree more. Empathy is a really important skill, not only for us as marketers, but also for us as humans, as we need to be able to build that deep-rooted emotional connection with our customers and our consumers. Because if we can't see things through their eyes and through their perspective, we'll never be able to build that connection. You talk quite a lot about conscientious leadership. What role do you believe conscientious leadership or empathy in leadership plays today? Absolutely. I I don't think it's possible to be a leader today without having empathy front and foremost. When you look at what our world has been through in the last two, going on three years, 
There is no leader that can get away with not understanding their people around them. And of course, as you just said, their audience in a deeper and far less superficial way than perhaps used to be the case. So today's generation of, of workforce are demanding that shift. And whether that's because they're of a different generation themselves, so they're younger and they have different expectations, or simply because they've been through the last two and a half years of the world changing and now feel very differently towards the things they expect from their workplaces. The need to be seen at work, the need to be heard and understood by your leadership has never been greater. So I believe we should all lead regardless of our job title, whether that's leading a project, a campaign, a team or a whole division. I believe that we should all be leading. For those that are listening thinking, yes, I want to be more in tune and more connected and better look after those marketeers and their care, what advice would you give them? I think that the first step is intention, to be really honest, Abby. I think the desire to hear people is fundamentally the shift you need because empathy is a skill we're all born with. It's built into your prefrontal cortex. And probably the question I get asked most is, but do you have more empathy, Mimi, than anybody else? But the answer is, of course, no, because we're all born with the same amount of empathy, but it is a skill set that you can choose to use. So the first step really to becoming a more empathetic leadership or member or more connected leader or a leader that's understanding people around them, and as you said, at any level, in work, in marketing, in the community, is the desire to do so, is the curiosity to listen to others and to be interested in their context as well as your own. Curiosity is also a skill I believe that great marketeers possess. And it's really interesting that that is linked to empathy. Because if we really want to be able to understand others, we have to have that curious mind to really be able to think about what is going on and what is at play here with them as a human and as an individual. So if we really need to hone our curiosity in order to build our empathy, why do you think so many do struggle with their ability to be able to build that empathy with others? I don't think it's necessarily a struggle. As I said earlier, I think it's a mindset shift. I think there's probably quite a lot of misunderstanding out there about what empathetic leadership or organisational empathy is. As I mentioned earlier, empathy is a skill set. So there's absolutely no reason that you can't learn it. You know, you can come to a workshop, you can learn about listening, you can learn about the language, the linguistics that helps you engage with people. You can learn about body language or negotiation tips or creativity processes that allow for more curiosity and empathy. So it's not really a barrier, I don't think, for people to learn it, but I don't think people always understand it, which is ironic given we're talking about understanding. But empathy is not a soft skill and it's not an emotional skill. And it's not sympathy and it's not compassion. It is a perspective. It is the ability to take someone's perspective. So I think really that's a mindset shift. It's the understanding of what we're talking about when we talk about empathy and leadership or organizational empathy, the context which you and I touched on at the beginning. And of course, the data around that to help convince people the case, you know, what is the case for Mm. empathy in marketing or in leadership? And then it's just a mindset shift and making the effort to do it. There aren't really barriers to this beyond your choice to do so. I 100% agree. And what was at play there for me was the mindset shift. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And we're seeing it really sort of speeding up around the world today, hence my work. There's just more and more people wanting to make that mindset shift and doing it at a speed. And again, back to my earlier point, the workforce is demanding that. So more and more leaders are having to look at shifting their perspective and their mindset 
as well as, you know, coming to their own decision for their own personal reasons. Yeah, definitely. It's not just because of the pandemic, it's because of what we've always wanted to be able to work with people that really understand us, to be able to connect with us and know what we need from work and for our lives as a whole. Absolutely. So Mimi, as a marketer yourself, someone who has led creative agencies, tell me more about what you believe the role of empathy plays in your work as a marketer. I think it's twofold. I think the reality is in marketing is that our only asset is our people, right? We are to create marketing and you touched on this at the very beginning, Abigail, is you have to be able to be curious. You have to be able to be interested in your audience. You have to be able to connect with those that are going to purchase your product or service. So I think it's twofold. I think, first of all, as marketeers, our teams are critical to our success. So using that empathy in your team, in your leadership, in your culture is incredibly important, especially where there is such competition for marketing talent out there in the world. But the second part, of course, is, and and again, you touched on this earlier, is that when you're connecting with audiences and you're making creative work, the work that really works is that work that connects with human beings. And we talk about that a lot, but we deliver on it a lot less. And that's because it takes time and energy to understand people, right? To really understand, not just to look at Facebook analytics and see who clicked on what when, but to really understand why people are purchasing or repeat purchasing or leaving what's going on in their mind, and perhaps what is the behavior of the niche that may be far more wide-reaching than we once understood. So I think it's twofold. I think it's about leadership of those teams and encouraging marketeers to come up through the next generation of leaders as curious, open-minded, sort of equal-seeing marketeers. And then secondarily, finding ways to connect with our audiences that make us just that little bit more human. I'm just smiling as you're talking. Be human. Yes. Be empathetic. Yes. Curiosity. Yes. Literally tick, tick, tick. Because they're all the skills I think are really important in marketing. In fact, they're ones that I've outlined in the whole marketer book itself. And actually what I thought you were going to say earlier when I asked the question, what you think that barrier is that prevents us from being able to connect with others in potentially the way that we want to was time and energy. So tell us more about the need to have more time and energy to be able to really understand what is happening with our customers and consumers, why they're leaving, where they're going, what they're currently doing, what is happening in the niche, not just in the majority. Why do you think we don't have that time and energy focus? I think that the time focus is unfortunately a reflection of the sort of corporatization of the creative Mm. industries. And within that, I include the marketers, the clients as well. So much of a marketing director or a CMO's time today is spent with procurement, in administration, in financial analysis. And of course, these things are all very important, but a far bigger amount of their time is now spent doing that compared to when you look, say, 20, 30 years ago, where the majority of their time was spent understanding their consumer So that is, I think, a reflection of capitalism, of multiple recessions and probably a global pandemic, but a reflection of our world and our business world and where people are focusing. And of course, as we all spend a little bit more time looking at making those numbers count, not only are they spending more time on that analysis, but they tend to have less heads per brand. So if I think back to when I started my career, you know, I would often have marketing teams of like 15 people on the client side. And now those same teams maybe are three. So there's far less hands on deck and there's far less time committed to that upfront process. We also are living in a sort of very reactive stage of our marketing world as well. There's so much anxiety in the world. There's so much panic. 
people are so scared of everything, and that is definitely a reflection of our social context, that marketers have become extremely reactive to the competition, to a threat, to a price change. And that, again, you know, shortens down that time, literally the time that we have to understand the work that we're about to throw out in the world. And of course, you can make an Instagram post and turn it around in 30 minutes and, and pop it out there. And so we should at some time. But I think that that reactive and sort of anxiety-led approach to, you know, trying to change and impact markets has really changed the process and, and the process that agencies can really be evaluated. I mean, when I look at the value that agencies in general add to their clients, I think it's fair to say it's far less today than it was, again, sort of 15 years ago. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's what's driving a lot of the overwhelm and that lack of fulfillment in client-side roles. Because to your point, particularly during the pandemic, there's been a headcount reduction or there's been recruitment freezes. And this was already on top of a wide breadth of role as our roles have expanded. You know, it's great that our roles have expanded as businesses and brands see the benefit of marketers leading that long-term commercial agenda. We're spending most of our Mondays in planning meetings or supply chain meetings or having one-to-ones with our team which means we just quite simply have less time to spend with our agency partners, less time to be out and about connecting and understanding with our consumers and building our creativity and really being given the headspace to think because your ideas don't just come when you're locked in a room because you have an hour to think. They come when you have the time to relax or to allow your mind to wander, to allow you to think about how you might solve that problem or the different options that might be available to you or how you might change up some communications to have better impact. I absolutely echo in what you're seeing and hearing, Mimi. I think to add to that, I think that there's a very valid and fair responsibility on the agency side as well, because I do think that we have lost a huge amount of talent from the sort of creative and advertising industries over time. And it's just not the industry that it once was in terms of being really an industry that lures top talent into it. And of course, this is a massive generalization, but we are seeing more and more talented creatives go freelance, go client side, move to platforms like Fiverr.com and, you know, freelance.com and all of these other platforms where they can sell their creative wares in other ways that have sort of less stigmatization around mental health and long days and all of those types of things. So I think for the clients as well, on many occasions, they have sort of given up on their agencies a little bit. And of course, again, massive generalization, but I do hear it from lots of my clients. If those agency people aren't exceptionally valuable in terms of opinion and insight and outlook. It's quicker for them just to do it themselves. And that has, again, led to many of these creative resources being brought in-house, which then devalues the creative process. So there is, you know, all of the things we just touched on in terms of mind space and time, but there's also making sure that we still have the right talent on the other side of the table to make that investment of time worthwhile. It's a really valid point, Mimi. And as you were describing, I was almost being able to visualise this time-poor marketer leaning on the agency, potentially putting additional pressure on them because they're under pressure to perform and commercially deliver in the short term, which is then having a knock-on impact and panic within the agency, which means the agency aren't then having the headspace to really be able to have the time to properly think about the solution and to come up with really great work. And then they're stretched and they have time pressures and then maybe the work isn't as great as it could be and therefore it's not as impactful as it could be and then this vicious cycle happens. Absolutely. I think that's exactly exactly what it is, unfortunately. And I think we need to find our way out of this quicksand 
because as you said, it is cyclical. And, you know, with my business now, we're really trying to bypass that in our own tiny, tiny little corner of the world to allow for a rebalance of that, because it's really on a train to nowhere if we don't stop that happening. So to everyone listening to today's podcast, we are going to break that cycle, everyone. You heard it here first, we're going to break that cycle. So thinking about breaking that cycle, that point you made about mindset and building empathy as a skill and really focusing the time and energy to do that in order to build the skill of empathy. So one is listening, one was linguistics and the other was body language. Can you tell us more about those three aspects? Absolutely. I think listening, gosh, we could do a whole podcast about listening, but listening, again, it's fundamentally about making a choice. It's about moving from listening to respond or listening to reply to actually listening to hear, right? And, you know, so many of us sit in meetings and you are hearing what's going on in the room. You know, you're hearing people talking and sharing opinions on timelines or strategy or whatever you're listening to, but you're actually thinking about, you know, am I going to make it to school on time? Did I remember to pack my daughter's pet lunch properly? Did I go to the vet? When am I going to pick up the prescription? You know, we're, we're thinking about a hundred other things. So we're not really listening. The other part of that, as I mentioned, is listening to reply. So you're hearing what someone is saying, but actually you're already busy sort of preparing your answer or opinion to that. Now, these are traps we all fall into all the time. And, you know, the funny thing is we don't teach listening very often. You know, I have a very small child, she's four. And, you know, with the sort of under fours, under fives, we talk to them all the time about listening. Listen to mummy listen to daddy. No, listen to what I'm saying. You know, we really encourage them to listen. But post four, five, six years old, we stop. We stop teaching our children. We don't teach it in the school curriculum. We don't teach it at university. We don't teach it in management school. And yet fundamentally, the backbone literally to human evolution is to listen, right? If you don't listen to each other, if you don't understand each other, how are you ever going to work together, right? So, Listening is is about attention. It's about focus. There's lots of sort of nice tricks to help you do that. And they connect a lot with things like body language, which was one of your second points there. And that's really rather easy to fix in many ways. Keeping your shoulders face onto people is, is really very important. Eye contact. Eye contact is an evolutionary and, and subconscious skill set. So when someone makes eye contact with you, there are sort of lapses in the brain that fire as a response because we have evolved as human beings to need to be seen. So eye contact is incredibly powerful. And if you think about the majority of your time, you're either commuting if you're going into the office and your head's probably in your phone or a book or the newspaper or wherever it is, but it's not making eye contact. Or we're sitting in Zoom meetings and Teams meetings where so often we have our cameras off. So the lack of eye contact is another area that's, you know, of, of really real importance. Not crossing your arms is a really sort of common one. When you cross your arms, again, you're sending messages to the unconscious minds of those around you that you're creating a barrier. It is a sign, a physical sign of barrier creation for, for safety, right? You're creating a barrier between you, your heart, <laughs> your organs, and what's outside of you. And again, from a subconscious point of view, that creates distance. It makes people sort of feel less easy, less certain, less trusting, which of course, if you've you know got a relatively tense meeting, you cross your arms, you're just going to find people get more anxious rather than less. Yeah, linguistics, again, I, you could do a whole show on this really around some of the ways you can reframe things. There's lots of areas I look at in linguistics. One of them is trying to match your linguistics to how other people 
like to learn or like to be communicated with. And that, of course, is empathetic in itself. To understand, for example, if you have a very visual learner, designers, for example, are often, not always, but often visual learners. I'm a visual learner myself. So if you could see me now and you asked me a question that I had to think about, you would see my eyes always go up to the ceiling because I'm imagining and visualizing how to answer that question. That's how my brain works. Now, when you work with visual learners and you use language that connects with how they learn, you can engage with them more often. So for example, you might say to somebody like me, to a visual learner, Mimi, I see that you're struggling with that. How can I help? Right? So you're talking, I see. And the same with, for example, if you have a vocal learner, someone that learns through words and language, you might say, Mimi, I really hear you today. Can you tell me a little bit more? So, you know, choosing your your language wisely so that it allows you to connect with people. But there's much more generic ways as well. For example, the phrase, what's stopping you, is a really powerful twist on the word why. So if somebody comes to you and says, I'm actually not going to deliver on said deadline that I told you would, our instinctive response is to say why. Well, why, Abigail? Why are you not going to do what you told me you were going to do? But if you change that, So what's stopping you? So Abigail, what's stopping you delivering that today? Again, you'll see people's eyes moves. It accesses their subconscious Mm. mind. And you get very, very different responses to that because they're not on the defensive, right? They're not ready to defend everything they were going to say. So there's lots you can do with linguistics for simple, simple shifts of, of words and language that allow you to connect more openly and just in a way that creates more connection with those around you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And as you were talking about eyes going up, funnily enough, mine always go to the left. For whatever reason that may be, I'll let you tell me later, which is always the space I seem to be looking when I'm trying to solve a creative problem. It's like there's something up there in the top left-hand side of my brain that's going to give me the answer. So I'm going to be curious now. I'm going to use that skill myself. So you're an accomplished marketeer, worked both agency side and client side for some of the world's most renowned brands. So where did this passion to start elevating the agenda on empathy come from? Uh, Well, it's actually quite a long story, as stories tend to be. But the most simple answer to that question is that I arrived in the Middle East in 2018 to take over a business which was a broken business and was more broken than I had expected before I arrived. And I made a very conscious decision that the turning around of that business would be done with people first to really balance humanism with capitalism, which is what I set out to do sort of as my focus in the world today. And to really prove to people that you can turn around a business, that you can drive profit, that you can drive output per capita, as well as all of the emotional needs of the business, the happiness, the contentedness, the motivation, the health of people. By putting empathy first, by really proving that you can put people beyond profit and not instead of profit, but beyond to say, you know, how do we earn money whilst really looking after and regenerating our people, which led me to really come up with this thought around regenerative leadership and its its role in in our world today. Um, And the more I saw the results of that, Abby, the more I wanted to carry on. I mean, I always say I never meant to write a book. I never thought I would write a book. But then I did because I felt like that story was what the world could hopefully value from and that it would elevate a conversation around our need for this regenerative approach to our businesses and our people. So I sort of set out and thought, well, I'll start talking about this. And for as long as people just like you, Abby, as long as people say, come and talk to me about this and this is of value or this is of interest, 
then I'll carry on talking and carry on writing. And so far, that journey's sort of carrying on. Almost as you're talking about it, Mimi, it feels like your passion, your purpose, like your legacy that you're going to leave behind. And that is really powerful. Well, I hope so. It's, it's definitely my purpose, <laughs> for sure. I often find that we define our purpose after a journey we've been on. I'd love to hear more about your career highs and lows. Gosh, funny how many people ask me about that. And I always think, gosh, when I'm put on the spot, I can never remember them all. But I think there's been more highs than lows on a macro level. I think if you remember back to the micro moments of the drama that you go through to create creative ideas and you know, there's team pressures and all those things. But on a macro level, it has been a very positive journey. I've been lucky to work with really great global brands. I've traveled the world and currently speaking to you from Sri Lanka and have spent the last 15 years traveling. So I've lived in Singapore and Hong Kong and Dubai and South Africa and now Sri Lanka. And I've looked after consumer groups and markets. I think last I counted about 35 of them, different countries, different cultures. And of course, the people. I mean, I've just met some wonderful people along this way, many of whom have become friends and or just loyal sort of work colleagues and collaborators. So I think it has been a journey of far more highs. There's been a lot of personal pressure. And I think the development and finding of your purpose, nobody really talks about this much out there, which is that it takes a lot from you in order to deliver on your purpose because Mm. it tends not to be something that a corporate guideline lays out for you, right? And you tend to have to do it alongside whatever else you're already doing in your day job. And we all have lives and kids and other things we have to look after. So I think from a personal point of view, there's been (laughs) some extreme exhaustion, but there's also been so much reward that I never stop. You know, I never think I'm too tired to carry on or I'm too sort of pulled in multiple directions to carry on. I just step back and think, how else can we cut this cake to be able to do all of it? So yes, I think in the bigger picture, Abigail, it's been a phenomenal journey and the highs have probably been the cultural ones, traveling the world really understanding multiple languages and cultures and people and getting to meet clients and and team members literally from every corner of the planet. I love what you said there about cutting the cake because I often feel quite similar you know how am I going to do this and I don't ever think about stopping I just think about how can I allocate more time and what different ways can I use an approach to be able to achieve the things that I want to achieve and to make things the matter happen. I love that analogy. And that's one that I'm going to personally run with like the wind me. <laughs> when you're trying to do things differently, everything takes more time, right? So, you know, when people ask me like, how would you describe this journey or whatever? I always say two words. I say, I, I think you have to balance tenacity with patience. And if you can do that, you can carry on cutting the cake in many different ways. I love that tenacity and patience. So Mimi, thank you so much for your time so far on today's podcast. We always finish the podcast with the following question. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? I think I would go back to my points earlier around curiosity. I think especially if you're junior or mid-level today and looking to build your career, in my experience, there's never been a young or less young, hungry, curious person that hasn't done exceptionally well in whatever they sort of set their mind at. Because for two reasons, again, back to sort of human evolution, we like curious people, right? We like to surround ourselves with people that are interested in us, that ask us how and why, and can you tell us more? That's just 
how we're made up as human beings. So it always works well for the people around you. People love to know that you're interested. But equally, if you're openly curious all the time, you tend to know more than the next person, right? Than, than an uncurious person. You have different facts, different perspective, different sort of values to bring to the table. And I think as we move forward in a world that is more inclusive and open and you know driven by equity and equality and all of this togetherness as a human race, it will be the curious that win the race in the end. You heard it here. The curious win the race. I absolutely love that. And Mimi, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're so welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. And I, I can't uh, wait to talk a little bit more and take this conversation further because I think we have so much in common. So thank you very much for having you. Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketeer podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do click follow below for more weekly podcasts. The Whole Marketer book is now available in all good bookstores. And to find out more about how Labyrinth can support and step change the growth of your brand or agency, go to www.labyrinthmarketing.co.uk. Oh,